Do you hear that? Listen. I think it's getting louder. The roar of the crowd, the beat of the drums, the air is getting cooler. Within 48 hours of this podcast going live, college football season will begin. And many of us care deeply about sports. But why? What does the story of sports tell us about ourselves and about God? This is a podcast you'll want to share with your sports-loving friends. I'm Rob Webster. Custer Road United Methodist Church presents A Football Story. This is episode 10 of The Story That Writes Us. This is a trigger warning. This episode will be seen through the lens of Alabama collegiate sports. The good Methodist folks who I spoke with are all somehow connected to the state of Alabama, but don't worry, Texas friends, I'm going to throw you a bone and we'll talk a little bit about Texas football and A&M in just a minute. So I would say around June, I will just start. (laughs) Oh, uh, this is a little embarrassing, but I will, and you know this, start playing the Alabama fight song and it just does something. (laughs) I hear it and my blood starts pumping and then, you know, a few weeks later, the media starts releasing their promo videos and I start to watch the promo videos and my heart starts pumping a little more. And then in August, I just start thinking about all the tailgate foods and then I get a little more excited. And so by the time you walk downstairs on that first morning, and you turn on college game day and you see Kirk Herbstreit and Lee Corso, you are just, you're ready to run through a brick wall. You're just ready. It's, it's go time. It's, that's the next four months of your life are gone and you would have it no other way. This is my wife, Lauren, and she loves football. At least she comes by it honestly. My grandmother was the most passionate Alabama fan that you could ever hope to meet. But she was so sweet about it, which is rare. She she really would just say, I love them when they win, love them when they lose. Those were her boys. You could call my grandmother anytime during an Alabama game, and she would answer the phone. First of all, she'd say, roll tide. And that's how she would answer the <laughs> phone. But then she would always comment on whatever the last play was. Because if you were calling her during a game, you had to assume she was watching it. So... It, it wouldn't even occur to her that a friend might be calling to chat. So when she would answer the phone, she'd say, roll tide. How about that catch? Or roll tide. Woo, they got him on that third down, boys. Good job, boys. And that's how she would answer the phone. I remember being with your family one time and we were watching a game and I said, oh, we should call my grandma right now. And they were all like, do it, do it. So I put it on speakerphone. I was like, okay, you guys watch this. And sure enough, she answered with her <laughs> roll tide and then commented on whatever play had just happened. And and now I do the same thing. <laughs> I'm just like her. That's hard. She's hardcore. I've always felt like she was the hardcore one in the Austin family. And that's John Zenor. He's the AP sports writer who covers the state of Alabama. When the AP sports writer knows how passionate your wife is about Alabama football, that's saying something. What do you think about the Texas-Alabama game? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Are we on the record? Sure. Well, if you're going to talk about that, you should probably, uh, you know, mention Texas A&M, too. <laughs> Hang on. Let me get the dates down here. 
While John looks up the date, let me just say this. This is not a sports podcast. It's a podcast about faith and stories, but we're just going to go ahead and get this out of the way for the football fans, okay? You can skip ahead one minute and 40 seconds if you don't care about football predictions. I mean, I, I, I know folks in Alabama are really looking forward to that um, that Alabama's visit to Texas and um, just two of, two of college football's greatest powers and to see Coach Saban against Steve Sarkeesian and, and the situation in the Sarkeesian's program that seems to be poised, you know, some of the talent they've gotten and everything poised for a turnaround. So that's that's a really intriguing situation um, and, and matchup there, especially since uh, a couple of Saban's former assistants became, you know, finally managed to beat him last year. Right, right. I mean, to me, the two most intriguing games on Alabama's schedule are, are against Texas teams. Texas because of where that program stands and what where they're trying to get to again and and Steve Sarkeesian, Stavens former offensive coordinator and then the uh, less than a month later is the uh, Texas A&M's coming to Alabama and, and and that is definitely a grudge match. Saban might not say it. Alabama players might just kind of hint at it, but yeah, that's a grudge match because Texas A&M beat them and then kind of the, the two coaches, Nick Saban and, and Jimbo Fisher went toe-to-toe in the offseason about NIL stuff and stuff. So that those are two fascinating games. And, and honestly, the Texas A&M game is – that's going to be a really interesting week. You know, you don't know if these players are going to be on their best behavior and um, what they're going to say publicly, but you know they're they're chomping to bits to get in that game. And and that's uh, – to me, those undoubtedly the two most talented top top teams in SEC West. So that's a big game in, in, in so many ways. And – and it's one I can't I can't wait to see October eighth at Brian Denny Stadium. People love to see the giant fall. And so yes, when AM beat Alabama, which I need to add, we had beaten them every single year since, you know, 2012, but whatever. Nobody notices when you win every year. But man, when you when you lose, I think I probably had 10 to 12 eighth grade boys blowing up my phone. Miss Lauren, your team sucks. Miss Lauren. Oh my God, what happened? Miss Lauren. And it it takes every ounce of maturity, which I don't really have to be the adult and not just want to like talk all this smack. And then you get to church on Sunday and their joys and concerns, their joys are like, oh, Miss Lauren's team went down. And you're like, I'm 43, I'm 43, I'm 43, because you just want to sink to their level so bad. (laughs) <laughs> and oftentimes I do sink to their level, but yeah, you you take a lot of you take a, you take a lot of heat when you um when you talk smack. So you better you better be able to um get it in return, which I'm not so great at doing. <laughs> I'm working on it. You know, sports is sports is a funny thing. As a fan, the fans obsess about stats, especially in sports like like baseball and everything. Um, and, and wins and losses, but for me, you, if you can get to know the people and the stories behind those stats, I mean, that is so much more interesting to me because, I mean, I've, I've, I've been doing sports writing for about 30 years, so I've covered, you know, umpteen dozen, hundreds of games and everything, and, and, and they don't all stick with you, but the people you meet, the people you get to know, the stories you get to tell about them, um, they do stick with you. And, it, and it's great to see behind the scenes because you can see some who are super friendly and really charming and everything in front of the camera who are a little bit different off the camera. And then you see some who are media shy and um, 
don't tweet a lot, don't do all that, aren't outgoing, but then you meet them and they're just genuinely cool people. And, 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 and I love that. I love that because that is, that is a privilege to be able to kind of get to know some of these, some of these athletes and coaches and everything. I love sports, but I, I, I have a curiosity about people that to me makes it even and more interesting. There's something innate in each of us, a competitive spirit and looking for an outlet to probably use that. This is John Ed Matheson, a retired Methodist minister. He pastored Fraser Memorial Methodist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where I met the sports writer, John Zenor, in a small group. When somebody says, I remember a sermon you preached and you told this story. Now, they don't remember what you said, you know, they remember the point, but it was the story that helps them remember it. And people, I think, relate to and remember stories better than anything. John Ed doesn't just understand stories. He understands sports, too. I played basketball through college. It put me through college, and I played with athletes in action where we went overseas and played these Olympic teams. And then I got interested in tennis, and I had played a lot. And so tennis was a lot easier once you get out of college because it only, you know, you know, you can get one other person in play, and you can compete at that level. Basketball, you got to get you know, nine other folks to sure. play. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Uh, I love basketball and kept playing for a long time, you know, church league and that kind of thing. But tennis and racquetball and pickleball are just uh, three of the real great individual sports that I've enjoyed. He's being humble. He didn't just enjoy sports. He was a state tennis champ in his age group for years. Well, I've written so many things about sports and people... Uh, about life lessons learned from sports and people ask about it want to know and then they say how can i apply that and so i just started decide i would just put together uh i've got 54 now i could have put 104 in the book but 54 life lessons that i've learned from sports that's right he just published a devotional book and it's all sports stories very very few folks in alabama don't care about sports he knows his audience. There's one in there about Bear Bryant. There's one about Suge Jordan, uh, you know, and Saban and Rafael Nadal. And, uh, you know, the base, some of the great baseball players, the coaches, and all of them have a story. And I just tried to capture it and say, but now here's a life lesson you can learn from that. Well, I grew up a huge sports fan. This is John Zenor again. NFL, the... the Magic and Showtime, Lakers, Jamarino and the Dolphins, Troy Aikman and the Cowboys, Stallback and the Cowboys, all those folks just obsessed with sports. And I just remember, I mean, I knew the sports editor, the, the local paper was a guy named Perry Ballard, and I opened up every day and to see what he had to say. And I was just kind of back when people read the papers every day. I mean, that's that's what I did. And and I, I've, been write, I've been writing short stories since I was like seven or eight years old. I mean, really bad ones. Uh, but I would write them, and I enjoyed writing them, and um, so it just seemed like a natural way to, to take two uh, two loves, two passions, writing and, and sports, and, and combine the two. And it really has never felt like 30 years later, it feels like I've never had to have a real job because I don't sit in an office from nine to five every day. Um, so sometimes, sometimes you know, you can plan and think all these things out, and God steers you in the right direction, and and that's where you stay. John got his first job in sports journalism from a man named David Housel. 
Mr. Housel was the sports information director at Auburn University. He later became a legendary athletics director for the university and mentored John. I asked John about his impact on him. Uh, David Housel, I mean, is, is, he's, he's, he's pretty much an icon in Auburn sports, Auburn athletics. He took me under his wing when I was a student. And I interviewed him for a story for the Auburn Plainsman school newspaper. And, and by the end of it, he was, he was offering me a job at the athletic department. And, and he got me all kinds of freelancing gigs. He, he mentored me. He introduced me to everybody. And now it's uh, 30 years later, and he's still, he's still a mentor. I still talk to him sometimes. Um, so he had a huge impact on me and, and still does. And he still, I still try to conduct myself in, in, in a way that would, would make him proud. I apologize. I heard the phone. I'm in a different. I'm in a different part of the house. I heard the phone ring, and I said, "Well, I can't answer that because I'm waiting on Rob to call me." <laughs> I'm sitting here in the bedroom reading the book, wondering where you are. You were wondering where the hell I was. <laughs> but you heard it. But we're together now. I was calling his home number, and he was waiting on me to call his cell. This is David Housel. I met him years ago when I was leading worship at a retreat for his church, Auburn United Methodist Church. What is now Auburn University was uh, first established as out of the Auburn Methodist Church. That's right. Auburn United Methodist Church was the birthplace of Auburn University, and few people have embodied and are as closely identified with the university's sports program as David Housel. Uh, I think there's something inherent in our makeup, uh, not physical makeup, but mental and emotional makeup that likes competition. You know, it it might be pride, it might be selfishness, but it's very much part of being human. You want to be better than somebody. Hmm. Yeah, we can rise above our, our instincts to work together for the common good but we, something down deep inside of us wants to compete to show that we're better. So I think part of it is the, as the disciple Bible study series used to say, the human condition. I do think it's part of our, our nature, part of our makeup, part of the way God made us to compete, to want to be better than somebody. But that's talking about the athletes. I wondered, for the fans, for the spectators, What is it that makes us love sports and sports stories so much? Do we have an inborn need to put forth our community's champions, to pit them against arrivals? A former president here, Dr. Bill Mears, put it this way. He and I were talking about this very thing. He said, college football, college athletics, it's equivalent to the old Greek city-state wars. You'd uh, get your best people out there. You'd go forth marching with your banners held right. high, your bands playing, and uh, it, it's a city. It's a war of the old city states. Except now, as Hemingway said, nobody dies. You hope they don't die. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I do think that athletics, football in particular, uh, has replaced violent confrontations to some degree. You get the same emotion but nobody dies. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. I have sometimes felt like a gladiator in a stadium when you go to these sporting events. No, it is interesting. And I think social media has made it kind of cool too, because I know I'll get on Twitter during games and I'm following Twitter. I've never met these people, but you do feel like you're on the same team. And, you know, 
yes, when you lose or when something bad happens, you've got this community to mourn with. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, it is the part of being something bigger than yourself. And um, for those of us that are older and aren't part of a team, you still feel part of a team. And I do think that speaks to our psyche and maybe some psychological need that we have. How many hundreds of years ago was the marathon around? I mean, people running 26.2 miles or whatever, just to, how does that even become a thing? I think there's an innate competitiveness and innate something people need something to rally around and and support and make themselves feel good. I mean, I do think we're wired to to be passionate about stuff. We're wired. We need stuff to occupy our mind, to to, to celebrate, to uh, to mourn over, uh, depending on who you cheer for and what happened in the game. I I I mean, I think sports are so intertwined with with who we are and 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 how we relate to each other you're you're not alone you're in it together and you're working toward a you're working or supporting a common cause a common goal i think it's true at auburn and everywhere that uh it is a a unifying point for the alumni and friends and university uh something they can unite behind and be proud of when it's good and hope it gets better when it's not so good. <laughs> yeah, you, you can look around. Anytime you can look around and see people who are feeling the same thing as you are, it makes you feel closer to them, whether it's, whether it's good or bad. Uh, Coach Jordan, our, uh, the man for whom our stadium's named, right, and the epitome of what Auburn and Auburn Athletics, Auburn footballs is about, uh, we were talking one time, and he said, you know, if football was only for the players, it wouldn't be worth the money we put into it. He said the real value in football and athletics is what the people watching the game come to see and understand and appreciate, what they learn about themselves from watching others compete on the field. You know, we all sit in the stands, and we love that old boy who never gives up, never gives up, keeps trying, and then one day he gets his chance, and he does something great in the field of competition. Uh, that's the kind of stories we love. The team that's, that's down and out and comes back. Uh, that's, that's the real value of athletics. Uh, not dollars and cents, but the inspiration it can the inspiration or the affirmation athletics can impart to the people in the stands and and who are watching on uh, in the stands or on TV or whatever. And so we love these stories, these stories of triumph over enemies, of overcoming odds, of steadfastness in the face of adversity. We tell them to each other, one generation to the next. The most memorable parts of the Bible aren't the explicit teachings, they're the stories We hear about a great flood, a man swallowed by a fish, water turned to wine, a dead man coming to life. And Jesus knew the power of stories too. He often spoke in parables, a kind of symbolic story. I asked my guest, if Jesus had come to earth in our time, if they thought he might have told parables about sports. The reason he told fishing stories back then is that's what everybody did. They fished. That's how they got their food or farming. Yeah, but you know, uh, I don't sure. I'm, I don't. I'm. They must have played football back in that day. I'm not really <laughs> sure. But I would think he would utilize that because what he did, he took objects, 
that people are familiar with and use them as an object lesson. And that's uh, that's the way he that's the way he taught. Mm-hmm. And I think today his subject matter, the objects would be different, mm-hmm. but he'd teach the same principles or lessons you'd learn from that. So it's funny that Reverend Matheson humorously suggested that maybe Jesus would have played football himself. It's interesting to me that David Housel's mind kind of went to the same place. Well, I think that uh, I never have really thought about that. I think sports. <laughs> I think sports parables are being told hmm. about people who overcome challenges, who uh, who endure in the midst of. Um, pain, disappointment. Yeah, I, I think Jesus would probably have told uh, some parables that had sports in it. But on the other hand, you know, sports just didn't happen in the 21st and sure. 20th century. They were running races and jumping back in Jesus's day. They had sporting events back in that day. Yeah, I don't ever remember him saying anything about no, it. No, that's but, true. Uh, Thinking about it, it was really just in, in, in Paul's letters. Yeah, run the good race and yep. that kind of thing. Yep, and get the, the the victor's crown and the wreath on the on the head and all yeah. that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, you think Jesus didn't run a race? You think Jesus didn't uh, arm wrestle? Yeah. Jesus was 100% human, as yeah. I'm told, and 100% divine. Problem with church today, religion today, faith today, is we forget about the humanity part of right. Jesus. Right. And uh, that in the humanity part is where we relate best to Jesus. Sure, I think Jesus would certainly, he'd, sure, he'd play football. He'd be the quarterback for the Auburn Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd have one hell of an offensive line, too. <laughs> I, I'm all for fair sportsmanship, but that would be an unfair advantage if the if the savior of the universe was Auburn's quarterback. I don't, I'd have to throw a flag would on that. Would he? Would he use his powers as Auburn quarterback? <laughs> Probably not. He'd be fully human, I think. I think he'd set those powers aside, set aside the glory. Interesting thought there, though, David. I got to hand it to you. I, I didn't expect that our interview would go here to where you're suggesting that Jesus might might be Auburn's quarterback if he were here today. So um, I appreciate your fandom and your theology. <laughs> we, need, we, we need him. But, of course, you know, it wouldn't do Jesus any good to go to Alabama. They got too good a team anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus would need to go to Mississippi State, Auburn, or somewhere like that. Well, that's true. To give the poor and downtrodden a chance. <laughs> <laughs> For all of the fun we had wondering if Jesus would have told sports parables, another concept kept coming up. Jesus might have given us a warning instead. You can make uh, uh, football, athletics, your God. You can worship the Crimson Tide. You can worship the Tigers. Though since Auburn's not winning, I doubt many people do that <laughs> right now. But that you know that that time will come again. With it, it will. But I think it's important that you have to keep everything in perspective and realize that God doesn't care who wins the Auburn Alabama game. We care, but God doesn't care. So maybe there's something else. Clearly, there's more than meets the eye when it comes to understanding why we love sports and sports stories so much. I think my wife brings this into focus. So now we live in Texas, and my entire family still lives in Alabama. And even though my grandmother... Okay. So... 
So the older I've gotten, I've realized it's not really football. I mean, it is football, obviously, and I, I do love the sport very much. But it's so much deeper than that because I live in Texas and my family all lives in Alabama. And my grandparents have all passed away. But when I watch Alabama football, I'm actually back to being a kid at my grandmother's house and I can smell the food and I can hear her voice. And I know I can text my mom. Okay. So I know I can watch a game and I can text my mom or I can text my dad. I can call them at any point. And I know they're watching the same thing, even though we're hundreds of miles apart. I know exactly what my parents are doing. Um, my nieces now, the next generation, my children, my niece Sutton blows up my phone during Alabama games. And so I feel so connected to her, even though she is in Birmingham, she is doing the exact same thing that I used to do with my grandmother. Did you see that play? What are they thinking? Oh no, we blew it. We're going to lose. Oh no, we're back in it. It's just nonstop. And so I know wherever I am in the country, wherever I am in the world, my family is somewhere around a TV watching an Alabama football game. And just for those brief four hours, even though we're far apart, we're connected again. And so I'm realizing that my love for football is because I do love the sport, but it's such a connection to my family and my childhood. And it's just a part of who I am. And I, I wouldn't want it any other way. For her, as for many of us, we're sports fans. We love the sport. But even more than that, we long for home. We long to belong. We long to be a part of something greater than ourselves. All of these wants, all of these needs, all of these things we feel are all things that ultimately point us towards Christ. The Bible says that we are not citizens of earth. We are foreigners here. And until we reach the heavenly kingdom, something will always be just a little bit off. There will always be a longing. It's what the songwriter David Wilcox wrote about in a song called What the Lonely is For. The chorus says, When I get lonely, that's only a sign. Some room is empty, but that room is there by design. If I feel hollow, that's just my proof that there's more for me to follow. That's what the lonely is for. And so, this football season, when you cheer on your team, when you love seeing people wearing your colors, when you celebrate together, and maybe when you grieve together, know that all of this points to a need to belong. I know that there is a maker who loves us, and he gives us a home, and a sense of belonging that will never end. We are homesick, all of us. Let the longing for a national championship or the grief of a bitter defeat point you towards the truth that the ultimate victory has already been won and that God has a home for all of us. I'd like to thank all of my guests who are on today's podcast. David Housel has a book out called From the Back Booth at Chappies, Stories of the South, Football, Politics, Religion, and More. You can get it on Amazon or click the link in the show notes. John Ed Matheson's devotional book, Life Lessons Learned from Sports, can be purchased directly from his website at johnedmatheson.org. It's also linked in the show notes at thestorythatwritesus.com. John Zenor doesn't have a book out, but like Johnny Appleseed, crossing America, planting apple trees, John has his stories everywhere. Just check the byline of the sports stories that you read, and you may just find his name there, especially if they're about Alabama sports. I've put a link to a recent story about Alabama's preseason hopes in the show notes. Next week, what happens when an executive with Coca-Cola gets his priorities out of whack? 
He has a life-changing reckoning with God. If you're wondering how your faith can be integrated beautifully into the workplace, you'll definitely want to listen to the next episode. The Story That Writes Us is produced by Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you share it with your friends? Post about it on Facebook or Instagram, perhaps? I'd be grateful. And if you're in the Plano neighborhood, look us up. We'd love to connect.